Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, and we're going to go through, verse, uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. Some celebrations this week. Our piano was delivered. Uh, it's back, yay. Uh, it's been gone, but it wasn't destroyed. It was sitting in storage in Houston. Um, uh, it did not get repainted. Those of you that were hoping, no, it didn't happen. Uh, it wasn't water damaged. We covered it, and covering it worked. So, uh, but that's okay. They would have had to do a, a lot of work on it to, to, to do the painting. If water had gotten in, it, it was all preserved this time. So they did some cleaning and uh, some refurbishing, but, but no major work. Um, I learned, just, just so you know, this is information, the piano guys would prefer a Mason and Hamlin, which is what kind of piano we have, to a Steinway. Uh, we have the heaviest piano you can buy. I learned that. Uh, for its size, Mason and Hamlin's are the heaviest piano. And to replace that piano would cost eighty dollars to $90,000. So we're glad we don't have to do that right now. Um, insurance would have paid for it, but I, I don't mind having a... a it's not antique, but it's, it's about as old as me, I think, and that's getting pretty close to antique, isn't it? Um, this week, uh, they finally completed... The roof and all the trim, the roofs have been on, but all the trim work and all the little things to anchor it down and all that, the, the final things are completed, and that's good in and of itself, but why it's really good is because we've not had wind and hail coverage all this time uh, because they wouldn't write a policy if we didn't have a roof. I guess it kind of makes sense. You don't have anything to protect your stuff, so they're not going to insure the thing that protects your stuff, Right? So all this time, we haven't had it. So a few weeks ago, when tornadoes were popping up around Lake Charles, I was nervous as a cat in the Rocky Mountains. I could not wait for that storm to pass by. And um, thankfully, nothing happened because if a tornado had popped down, our insurance company would have shrugged and said, oh, well, you're not covered. So... With the completed roof, we now get full coverage on our facilities again. Um, yes, I've sent the email, contacted the person. Now we just got to, it's got to happen. And then this past week, uh, 10 volunteers, three children, and five staff members fed 240 people from our FLC, uh, the FLC families totaling 240 people for the, uh, their Thanksgiving feast in here. I, I tell you what, it looked great to have all those tables set up here. And, and the feeling of, I, I said this to a couple of people, the feeling of normalcy that, hey, we're using this room for the things that it's always been used for and the things that we're in, we've intended for it to be used for in, in the remodel. So it was a great week. So those are our celebrations this week. Chapter uh, Colossians 3, 18 where Christ should be. This is the last of our series on Colossians. Uh, next week in Connect Group, y'all will be looking at Philemon. Uh, I will be veering off into a Christmas series for the four Sundays before Christmas. So uh, I won't be preaching Ezekiel in December, but come January when we get back uh, into a regular routine again, we'll jump to Ezekiel. But this morning, where Christ should be. This, this passage 
is the application of the golden rule and the great commandment. The golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Those, those two things, and, and we could say this really about a lot or most passages of Scripture, but this passage in particular, in talking about the home and work, is, is putting those things into practice where Christ should be. Right? That's the title. The, we, we've... we've uh, it covers all the participants in the home, all the participants in the workplace, so it really covers everyone. And if you don't go to work, students, put school where you have, uh, where it says work. We see this uh, as the overflow, really, of, uh, and the result of what we've been preaching or looking at throughout Colossians. The, the first Sunday we looked at Christ at the center then we looked at Christ in us. Then we looked at Christ as Lord. What Christ has done and then where Christ is. So this is the culmination of those uh, sermons. Now it's where Christ should be. How do all of those things then affect our daily lives? And we see in this passage eight imperative uh, verbs, but they are influenced by these seven phrases mentioning Christ, which is, we're going to look at the imperatives, but we are coming at it at, from the perspective of, as we've been throughout Colossians, who Jesus is and where Christ should be. And so Paul, by the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit, interjects in all these imperatives phrases like, as is fitting in the Lord, for this pleases the Lord, fearing the Lord, done for the Lord, from the Lord, you serve the Lord, a master in heaven, and then uh, left one out, the Lord Christ. All of these interjections, Paul wants to make sure that we understand that these imperatives aren't from Paul, but are from Christ himself. And what we see him doing here, it, it, in part anyway, is curtailing some of the abuse of the freedom that the gospel brings. The gospel brings freedom. Uh, Paul has already said uh, in verse 11 of chapter 3, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And in other places there is uh, neither male nor female. There, there aren't races. There's, not a, there's no hierarchy in the church. There's no distinction in the church. We are all one in the church. But if you jump to Corinthians, and if you remember my sermon on women in ministry, uh, a few months ago, if, if left with those freedoms, then those freedoms would be abused. And Paul had to say, nope, there is leadership, there is headship, there is someone who leads the church, there are those who teach and those who do have other responsibilities. Make sure you get the roles and the functions right, but not in any way that would demean or dismiss anyone in the congregation. And so that's what he's doing here. He's, he's getting all the, the roles, the functions, and the relationships right, but making sure we do not demean or dismiss anyone in the church. So he talks to husbands and wives. He talks to the, the children in the church. He talks to slaves and masters, which actually would have been a part of the household code primarily at that time, and which would also make a lot of sense since most of the houses or most of the churches met in homes. 
He's saying this is how you need to keep unity and peace in the church. So Colossians 3, 18 through uh, 4, 1, read with me as I uh, read from God's Word. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. So as I said, Paul breaks this down into, uh, is, is primarily on the home that he's focusing. We're going to apply it to the workplace in a bit, because, uh, and I'll explain why when we get there. But he starts with the home, and he tells uh, in the beginning, in the first verse 18, wives submit. This may be one of the most abused passages in Scripture. Uh, it has been used to justify all sorts of literal violence and abuse to wives from men. Um, I was joking with Etta earlier about something, but uh, did you know that the Puritans had a rule, had a law, that the husband could not use uh, a rod any bigger than, I think it was your pinky or your index finger, to beat their wives with. There wasn't a law against beating your wife. It was, just can't use too big a stick when you do it. Uh, and they would have said, well, you know, they're supposed to submit. No. That's not what this says. Number one, the... the, the uh, the verb submit there, though it is an imperative to the woman, it is actually in the middle voice. So the middle voice means do it yourself. Submit yourself. You do the work of submitting. It is not passive in that someone would make her submit. It is middle. Submit yourself, wife. So no rod involved. This is not, this submission is not subjugation. It is an equal in the church, in humanity, co-heirs with Christ, uh, image of God, helpmate to the husband, an equal making a choice to submit herself to her husband. It is a command from Christ to do it, but it is still a choice on her part. And this is not a word like is used for slaves and children later on. It's not obey. It doesn't carry that sort of strength. That is not what it's saying. It's not saying wives obey your husbands. It's saying wives submit yourselves to your husbands. And we, will know, and we know from other passages in Scripture that a wife's submission is on, only goes as far as the law of Christ allows. 
Should the husband require, demand, whatever, something that is outside of the Bible, that wife has no responsibility to submit to that husband. The law of Christ would be something like the Sermon on the Mount or the Fruit of the Spirit. As the husband leads his wife and his family to follow the Sermon on the Mount and the Fruit of the Spirit, the wife submits. But if the husband leads in ways that are unbiblical, ungodly, and against the law of Christ, that wife has no responsibility to submit. Now this is also not men to women, or rather women to men. This does not say women submit to men. So ain't nobody in here got any uh, claim on my wife submitting to you. She submits to me as her husband, they another man in here, and I'll be happy to tell you to your face that she doesn't have to submit to you, and you better be just as quick, husband, to tell some other man that your wife owes him nothing. And, and we have abused this passage over and over and over throughout history to say men are in charge, men make the decisions, men do this. Um, Proverbs 31 makes it pretty clear that, that men don't have to always be in charge. Lydia, who owned her own business that we studied not too long ago when we went through Philippians, uh, owned her own business. The church met in her house, which means at the very least she was a host. She may have been the leader of the church. Ain't no mention of a man having to tell her how to do it and what to do. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, he then says, love your wives. But I put on the screen agape. This is an intentional use of the word Agape. There are times when Scripture uses the, the various Greek words for love interchangeably. Phileo, which would mean brotherly love. Agape, which we know means um, unconditional love or sacrificial love. Sometimes, and, and the, the context makes that clear because they just go back and forth using the words, and there's no real reason why they would say one or the other in each sentence. In this case, though, Paul is clear. There's no reuse of the word, and since there is only one uh, command to love, and this is an imperative as well, it is imperative that husbands love their wives unconditionally. Or, a better word is sacrificially. Whatever you want doesn't matter, because I'm going to love my wife sacrificially. You are going to love your wife sacrificially. So that means you have to give up things in order to love your wife well. Now if we get those two things right, husbands and wives, if we get the uh, purposeful uh, relational submission of the wife and then the sacrificial love of the husband, do you see how both of them are putting the other first? Does that not sound like a Certain rule that we, we color bright yellow, a golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them. So if, if you want your wife to submit, well, you better love her sacrificially. And if you want your husband to love you sacrificially, then choose to submit under his leadership. Not be subjugated, but to submit. Now, again, this does not mean... Uh, that you stay in abusive relationships. Again, this is 
according to the law of Christ as well. I got my notes out of order up there. But this is according to the law of Christ as well. If she is, if she is to submit uh, as, um, as far as the law of Christ allows, then he is to love sacrificially and lead by extension, lead according to the law of Christ. He is to lead along the lines of the Sermon on the Mount or the fruit of the Spirit. And he tells, Paul tells the husbands, don't be bitter. Uh, it, it, it's actually that's a, a passive verb. It's something that happens to him. Don't be embittered toward your wives. How could someone be embittered toward their wives? Well, she's not doing the things I want her to. Well, chances are, sir, you're not doing the things she wants you to either. Well, I'm the leader. No, you're not. You're supposed to sacrificially love her. And so if she's not acting the way you think she should, Paul clearly tells you, husband, don't be embittered toward her. She is not your slave, your puppet, or your plaything. She's not your property. She's not something you own that then submits because she is subjugated and you can do whatever you want. And Paul knows that that would be the tendency, especially telling the wives to submit. Well, husbands are going to throw that around a little bit and say, mm-hmm, you've got to submit to me. And the root of bitterness springs up in a big hurry. At this time especially, the wife had little legal redress if the husband were abusive. Because women were seen more like property and less like equals in a marital relationship. Again, with Lydia, we see the business owner, we see the leader of the church, we see other women like that in the New Testament. And Proverbs 31 even talks about leadership of a woman uh, in a, uh, a relationship that is uh, biblical and godly. The husband... Uh, I started to say allowing. I don't mean allowing like I let you do these things. I mean the husband being uh, fulfilling his role as leader but not master over her. But in a, in a marital relationship, there wasn't much legally she could do if he were abusive. So Paul says to the guy, hey, don't make abuse an issue. Don't make it a situation where she has to try to do something to, to get out of it. Now, women do have redress now. They can uh, leave and they should use every legal avenue and every opportunity to get out of an abusive situation if a husband is abusive. Don't stay in that, uh, that verbally, psychologically, emotionally, or physically uh, abusive relationship and say, well, I have to submit. No, you don't have to sub submit to ungodly things. Now, we pray that he turns around, but you don't be in a situation where you are going to get hurt. Get somewhere safe. Get your children somewhere safe. And then Paul turns to the children. So wives, humbly, uh, lovingly submit yourselves. Husbands, sacrificially love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. And he says, children, obey. Now, like I said, this is a much stronger word than submit. Paul does not tell the wife to obey the, the husband, nor the husband the wife, for that matter. But what's interesting here is that Paul writes in his letter to the church in Colossae, 
and addresses the children in the church. Well, automatically that tells us children are in the church. This has been so from the beginning of the church, that children were there. That's why I love our, our situation now and how we're doing this, and that this will transfer into the sanctuary as well with the kids' table. The, the children are here. They are full members of the believing body, especially if they have trusted Christ. And he says to them, uh, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's our, our reference of, of where Christ should be. Obedience to Christ, children, should then flow into obedience to parents. Or, say it a different way, if we are obedient to Christ, then we will be obedient to our parents. Now I want to say this again. This is only as far as the law of Christ allows. There is no allowance in Scripture for a believer to sin because someone in authority over them told them to. You don't, you don't do that. You, you follow God first, then you follow everything else. And if something else, some other authority, tells you to sin, you don't do it. Will there, could there be repercussions from that? Yes. And if, if those repercussions are bad enough, you get out of the situation. Children too. I mean, that's why we have Child Protective Services or Department of Family Protective Services, whatever we call it in Louisiana. That's why those things exist. Because people need to get out of those situations. And you should. Children, adults. And let me, let me say this, because I'm, I'm kind of beaten up on, figuratively, the men here. Women can be abusive too. Okay? Women can abuse men as well. Rarely is it physically, though that happens. Usually it is uh, emotional or psychological. Men, you don't have to do that either. That's not the sacrifice that Scripture is talking about when it says love your wife sacrificially. That you may need some time, you probably do, separately and then hopefully together to get the, the help that you need as a couple. So children, uh, and this is where friends and family come in to keep an eye on children and other families and see and listen why is that bruise there? Why are they so scared? Those sorts of things. Obedience is not to be beaten into a child. I ain't saying you don't spank them. I think my children know that. But there's a big difference between a spanking and abuse. And then we see that that is what Paul is going to intend here as well. He, he, he speaks nothing of corporal punishment he then turns to the parents after telling children to obey he says fathers and that word fathers could actually because of the way the language um, works it, when it's plural like that it could mean parents fathers do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged exasperating your children would be to irritate nag them or place unrealistic burdens or expect expectations on them this would also be in a much uh, 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 deeper sense abuse don't do that and it's hard parents I know we have expectations for our kids we we see 
potential, we see uh, abilities, and, and we, we want to, to, well, if I just tell them enough times, they'll do it. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. I, I tended to be one, when I would get nagged, I'd shut it down. I'm like, oh, oh, you're going to nag me? Well, then I ain't doing it. it my, my grandmother would tell a story of uh, one of her neighbors that got mad when bills came in the mail. And her comment was, and she's going to use some old language here, how many of you remember when you got dunned for, your, for what you owed? Maybe that's a Mississippi term, okay? Then I'll translate. If they're going to bill me for all this, I'm just not going to send them money. That's kind of what they're supposed to do. Hey, let me remind you, you owe us but she didn't like it. She didn't like being nagged by the people she owed money to. Well, that's not nagging. That's reminding. That's correction. Um, children, sometimes you need to be reminded, and sometimes you need to be corrected, and, and sometimes parents, we're just nagging because we're exasperated ourselves, and we shouldn't exasperate the children. But what we should see from our children so that they, it says so that they won't become discouraged. We want to raise up our children to be the best that God has made them to be. To be them everything that God has for them. So, sometimes that... And it, it always involves guiding and, and leading and correction. Uh, there's a, a group called uh, Need to Breathe that has a fairly new song out. I think it's called Banks is the name of it. And he said, the, the, one of the lines is, I want to be the banks to your river. And I, I want to be, and it, it's actually, I think it's a song that's sort of uh, imagery for God, but he's, it's also very practical. He, he wants the river to flow strong and, and free and, and do the things that a river's supposed to, but he wants to be the banks that, that guides that river. Doesn't want to dam it up, doesn't want to, mess it up, but keep it in its path, in the best path. Well, that's what we're supposed to do as parents. And it's not easy. Um, it, you know, a lot of y'all have already done it. Um, we're on the, the tail end of some of it and the, the beginning end of some others. And, and so we're making all the mistakes as we go, yet our goal is to raise children that... Follow God first and foremost. And then we pray that every decision they make is related to that. But joyful obedience to Christ means joyful obedience to parents. That's, the, that's what we, we, we want our children to joyfully obey. And isn't that what we often do? I'll say often. Maybe I'm being optimistic. With God, we want to obey Him joyfully. We, we have the command, and okay, yes. And why? Because we understand the relationship. We understand what was done for us. We understand that we are saved through Jesus Christ, and we owe Him everything. Well, our children aren't saved through us, but they sure do get to eat a lot and live in a house. And, and there is a... I don't want to use the word debt, but I will. A debt that's owed. 
we ain't going to send a bill for that debt. But the way children repay parents is through joyful obedience. It's real easy for me to say I'm not a teenager anymore. I don't think I'd have been as um, enthusiastic about this message 30 years ago. But again, parents don't exasperate according to the law of Christ. So if uh, children obey only as far as the law of Christ allows, then parents should parent according to the law of Christ, following the Sermon on the Mount, showing the fruit of the Spirit. There are times when I don't show the fruit of the Spirit in the way I parent. It's occasional. Very occasional. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean I do it the right way all the time. But Scripture says, imperative, do not exasperate your children. Then Paul moves to slaves. And as I said, this was, this was a household code, and he is primarily talking about household slaves. But we need to nuance that a little bit. First of all, I want to talk about, just briefly, how slavery in Rome was different from colonial slavery, the slavery that we fought a war over. First of all, slavery in Rome was not race-based. didn't matter what color you were, didn't matter what color your master was, you could be a slave or own slaves. Uh, a big difference was slaves were often educated. As a matter of fact, oftentimes the slaves were the teachers of the children in the home. So they were uh, educated, which was not allowed in the U.S. And then uh, thirdly, manumission was possible and common. Manumission was when you freed your slave and uh, voluntarily it, it it happened because oftentimes slaves were slaves because of debts they owed. They had to sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt. And sometimes those, uh, after a while, those debts were considered paid off and they would be freed. Uh, that often, that freedom, depending on how they were set free and, and, and uh, uh, how the, the owner set them free, that freedom often led to full citizenship in Rome and entrepreneurship. Oftentimes that slave then became a citizen. The one uh, caveat was that you couldn't hold public office, sometimes. Uh, and they would take the business, the thing that they learned doing for their owner, well, they'd make a business out of that, and later on, some of them even, own their own slaves. Oftentimes uh, slavery was a result of wars as well. They, they were and they, everybody, Rome, every Roman citizen lived with the, the realization that if somebody comes in and takes over the city, we could all end up being slaves. Now, in other ways, it was just like ours. They were considered property. They were mistreated. They were abused horribly. Um, all those things were the same. So there were some differences. But Paul here, and in other places, sets the table for emancipation and abolition of slavery. He does it here. He encourages it to, uh, to uh, Philemon about Onesimus, which you'll read this week, saying, hey, he's a brother now. And, and he, Paul did not come right out and say it, but he made clear, and you know how to treat him now. Even the language here would lead to, if we take it to its scriptural end, its logical end, would lead to the, the emancipation of slaves and the abolition 
of slavery. But since we have this passage in Scripture, and we do not have legal slavery today, but one more caveat, legal slavery doesn't mean it's right. So our founding fathers and others had this passage then, but they twisted the Scripture just to say, see, you're supposed to be a slave rather than you're equal, which Paul is going to say they are. But since we have no legal slavery today, we apply this passage to work. And so we see uh, the first and the longest section to the slave-slash-employee. Why did Paul spend so much time on this? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Some think maybe Colossae had seen some sort of slave revolt over uh, uh, recently. Um, there's thought that maybe this particular church or the churches in Colossae had a high number of slaves. And you can imagine when Paul has said uh, that there's neither slave nor free in Christ, that in the church, the slave could be the pastor and the owner could be the church member. And that role gets reversed in the church and Paul is trying to keep people, well, really keep people alive. Don't revolt and get yourself killed. Don't cause issues and, and uh, hurt you, your family, your witness, or whatever. He's going to tell people, he says in, I think it's Corinthians, whatever situation you were born in, fulfill God's will in that position. Live in that position. But if you can better yourself, if you can get out of that situation, do it. Again, you can hear the hints of emancipation. You can hear the hints of abolition in Paul. But he would not take the opportunity to create a revolt and then hurt the mission somehow. So to the slave and the employee, Paul says, slave slash employee, do the maximum. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work, on all, on, while, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Do the maximum, not the minimum. He says whether your boss is around or not, whether your master is around or not, do the best work you can. Do the work you're supposed to do. It's easy to do the work when the boss is watching. And it's very easy to slack off when the boss isn't. But he says, do the, the work that you're supposed to. And he says, work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. That, that fearing the Lord is a phrase that adds humanity to the slave. Remember, even in Rome, just like in America, slaves were considered property. Now, they weren't, since it wasn't race-based, it was less that they were considered inferior their inferiority came because y'all lost the battle. Not inferior because of their race like we had in race-based slavery in the U.S. This fear of the Lord, though, would tell them, you aren't an animal. You aren't inferior. You are human. You do this fearing the Lord as every other believer should. You're not, some, you're, not, uh, uh, you're not cattle, you're not livestock, nor employee are you just a cog in the grand capitalistic wheel. 
You're not just a piece, a little piece of the machinery that once you're worn out, you get thrown away. You have humanity. You have the Lord. So do, do your job and do it well, fearing the Lord. He goes on to say, uh, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord. Paul tells them your work, you work for God, not for people. No matter who your employer is, no matter who your master is, as a believer, you work for the Lord. Every one of you. School teacher, nurse, welder, uh, plant worker, electrician, um, tire salesman, uh, let's see, what else? A, a social worker, real estate agent. All, you work for the Lord, not your employer. Work, y'all listen to me, work is worship. Now I know a lot of y'all think, well, I ain't worshiping when I go to work. I know, I know, it, it, it's hard. If I, you know, I, the poor guys that have to empty the porta-potties. It's hard to see that as worship. But we all like clean bathrooms. So, you know, I appreciate their work. But work is worship. We work for God and not for people. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say, Michael, you're, you're a pastor. Everything you do is for God. Yeah, if I only had to deal with God, it'd be all right. But my work is, is no easier sometimes, and I would dare say often harder than, than, you know, if you just work with a machine, you pull out a part, you throw it away, uh, you beat on it, whatever. I don't, I don't get to pull out parts, throw them away, or beat on anything. My work, your work, is worship because we all work for God. Not just ministers, all of it. He says, uh, everything is done for the Lord, not for people. Knowing, uh, verse 24, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. So your real boss, your real master, will reward you. Now this was kind of a Kind of a jerky comment for Paul to make to slaves. Honestly, slaves, as long as they were slaves, had no inheritance, no property. It was a law. They couldn't own anything. The best they could do was represent their owner in some business dealings if their owner gave them the authority to. But otherwise, they had nothing of their own. And Paul tells them, oh, oh, you're going to get an inheritance. It's not going to be the inheritance from this life, though. You will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You may work your entire life for a company and get no benefit from that company. To them, you may be just a cog in the wheel, just one more piece of machinery, and when you are worn out, you get tossed away, and they replace you with somebody else. Very little thanks, very little fanfare. You're just there to make the guys up the chain more and more money. Your reward is not in this life. Paul is telling them, it may be that way for you, but that is not how your life will end. 
That is not your eternity. You receive a reward from your true master, from your true boss. And so that leads him on to another imperative, just kind of exclaim this here at the end of verse 24. Serve the Lord Christ. You serve, imperative, serve the Lord Christ. Serve Christ in your job. Jesus ain't worried about making you, you making him money. That's not his goal. He wants you to tithe on what you make, but that's not his purpose. You serve Christ in your job, and that makes the job a whole lot different. It, it, it applies to marriage. We can go back up to the husband and wife thing, and if we look at, uh, Emerson Eckridge uh, has said, if we look past our spouse and see Jesus, then we will treat that person differently than we would if we just see the spouse. Well, if we see our job, if we see our boss, not as the jerk who yells at us, but instead we see behind him the Christ whom we truly serve, then that's going to change the way we do our jobs. And then finally, Paul says, if you see Christ and behind your boss, that, that's your reward. He will reward you. Any wrongdoing then will be dealt with by the Master. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. So that means that both the, uh, the, the employee, the slave, and the employer, the Master, will both be judged separately from each other doesn't matter what he did or to the other and the other did to him. It matters what you did as a worker of God's, not as a worker of your company of, or, or of, in this case, your owner. And he tells them that justice and equity are your responsibility. Oh, I skipped a little too far. Uh, sorry, evil masters and bosses, I, I did I... Yeah, that's where we are. Um, wrongdoing will be dealt with by the maker. Evil masters, bosses will be judged, but so will evil slaves and employees. Your boss is a jerk, so you steal from him. Your, your boss will be judged for being a jerk. You will be judged for stealing. But again, this is only as far as the law of Christ allows. You don't have to sin for your job. Even as a slave, they weren't to sin for their owner. Did that mean some... Cruel punishment? Possibly. But they did, were not to do that. And I would, as we see Paul telling Philemon, free the slave. Don't, don't treat the slave uh, the way you, the, uh, the culture says do it. And then finally, Paul, in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 4, says to the master, the employer... Deal with your slaves justly and fairly, or with justice and equity, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Justice and equity are your responsibility as an employer, as the boss. Justice and equity. Those are two words that we often uh, don't like in our political environment. And yet, here they are in Scripture saying that the boss... The, the owner, the master, owes justice and equity for, to their slaves, to their employers. Now, 
here's where Paul is sowing these seeds of abolition and um, uh, emancipation. If we treat somebody with justice and equity, how can we own them? And this is what the slave owners mentioned, uh, missed uh, 160, 170, 250 years ago. If we treat someone with justice and equity, if they are human in their uh, relationship to the Lord, if there is no slave or free in Christ, then slavery can never happen, but neither can the, um, the abuse, the, the wearing out, the, the, the wadding up and throwing away of the employee as long as we can get the, enough work out of them that we make money that's great, but as soon as we don't, we're done with them. No, that's not what the employer is supposed to do. Take care of those that work for you, Paul says. Again, to take care of them meant freedom for the slave. Well, the slave might not have had the, the uh, opportunity, didn't have the, the education. To, to They were better off as slaves, we hear. No, then your responsibility is to set that person up to have an opportunity, a, a, a chance at life. Again, to the master, the employer, you lead, you, you, you employ according to the law of Christ. And if we love uh, someone else as ourselves, if we love God and love people, then um, we don't mistreat them. We wouldn't enslave them. We wouldn't be a... a uh, Slave driving, to use a horrible term, boss. Christ in your home. Christ in the workplace. In every one of these relationships, Paul's commands will be fulfilled if the great commandment and the golden rule are followed. Do you want to have a good relationship with your spouse, with your employer, or just with anybody in general? The random person you meet at the store or the, that you're dealing with, you want to have a good relationship? Love God, love people, and do to them, treat others as you would want to be treated. It's amazing how our relationships will improve. Christ is in all the places in the life of the Christian, or at least He should be. There's nowhere we go that we don't take Him with us. There's no, uh, I believe it's a guy named Abraham Kuyper who said, there is no uh, centimeter of the universe where God does not say, that's mine. So that means there's no part of our lives where God does not say, that's mine. Christ should be in all places of our lives. And the first place that Christ should have in our lives is first place in our hearts. We can experience that we can place Christ first in our lives first in our hearts so that he will be first in our lives by faith in Jesus Christ Romans 6:23 tells us the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord the wages of sin is death we are going to pay the penalty for our sin we all have to pay it because we all have the sin and that payment for every one of us is death. But God provided a way. He provided a gift, a gift that we must receive, that we must accept in order to um, 
get the benefits of that gift. It comes straight from the Father, and that gift is eternal life. So, death versus eternal life. You're not going to die, you're going to live forever. But we can only have that gift. We can only have that eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who provides eternal life, the one that provides forgiveness for our sins and provides a way out of judgment, but also our Lord, where Christ should be in every aspect of our lives, at home, at work, at school, and anywhere else we go. If we have trusted Christ as our Savior, if you will trust Christ as your Savior, then everywhere is where Christ should be. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have provided the way, that You have given us banks to our river. God, You let us grow. You let us experience. You give us blessings and gifts. You do wonderful things for us. You have given us freedom in Christ, and yet we have banks to our river. We, we have boundaries that You have made clear. We have roles. We have functions. We have relationships. We have thing, way, the way You have set things up to work by Your Word. And Lord, if we will all submit to those, we will see our lives flourish. We will see You flourish in our lives. And we will see so much wrong that is done go by the wayside. God, I pray for our husband-wife relationships that they will, the wives will lovingly submit themselves to the husband. The husband will sacrificially love the wives. We will look past each other and see Christ. Not just telling us what to do, but we are treating His creation, His child, His, the one He has given us Whatever we do to our spouse, we are doing to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would respond in such a way. Employers, businesses, the same. Back and forth between the, the, the worker and the boss. And Lord, in every aspect of our lives. Teachers to students, students to teachers. God, you would have first place. Jesus, you would be where you should be, and that's in everything in our lives. Give us the strength to put you first in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior, today is the day to do that. You can accept Christ. You can believe on Him. You may have already done it, and you just want to share that. Tom's at the back at our Welcome Center. Uh, Justin, Kirk, Lee will be at the back door. If you'd like to pray with somebody about that, maybe you would need to pray about your relationship with your spouse. You would like to ask for prayer about your relationship with your spouse. It's hard to submit to someone who doesn't love sacrificially. It's hard to love sacrificially someone who doesn't biblically submit. Let's pray. But let me say one more time, if you are in a situation where you are being abused, get out of that situation. Go somewhere. Get help. Get away from it. Child, husband, wife, get out of that. God doesn't bless violence. 
God doesn't call us to be hurt. And then pray that the Lord will heal that entire thing. But don't try to heal it from the inside. Heal it from the outside. We'd love to pray with you if that's your need. Uh, Let's stand, let's sing, take a few minutes, and let God do some work on our hearts this morning.